0: Section 27 of Swan's Way. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. Swan's Way by Marcel Proust. Translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief. Section 27 BUT, OFTEN ENOUGH, THE THINGS THAT HE DID NOT KNOW, THAT HE DREADED, NOW, TO LEARN. IT WAS ODETTE HERSELF, WHO SPONTANEOUSLY, AND WITHOUT THOUGHT OF WHAT SHE DID, REVEALED THEM TO HIM. FOR THE GAP WHICH HER VICES MADE BETWEEN HER ACTUAL LIFE AND THE COMPARATIVELY INNOCENT LIFE WHICH Swann HAD BELIEVED, AND OFTEN STILL BELIEVED HIS MISTRESS TO LEAD was far wider than she knew. A vicious person, always affecting the same air of virtue before people whom he is anxious to keep from having any suspicion of his vices, has no register, no gauge at hand, from which he may ascertain how far those vices, their continuous growth being imperceptible by himself, have gradually segregated him from the normal ways of life. In the course of their cohabitation, in Odette's mind, with the memory of those of her actions which she concealed from Swan, her other, her innocuous actions, were gradually colored, infected by these, without her being able to detect anything strange in them, without their causing any explosion In the particular region of herself in which she made them live, but when she related them to Swan he was overwhelmed by the revelation of the duplicity to which they pointed. One day he was trying, without hurting Odette, to discover from her whether she had had any dealings with procuresses. He was, as a matter of fact, convinced that she had not the anonymous letter had put the idea into his mind but in a purely mechanical way it had been received there with no credulity but it had for all that remained there and swann wishing to be rid of the burden a dead weight but none the less disturbing of this suspicion hoped that odette would now extirpate it for ever. oh dear no not that they don't simply persecute me to go to them her smile revealed a gratified vanity which she no longer saw that it was impossible should appear legitimate to swan there was one of them waited more than two hours for me yesterday said she would give me any money i asked it seems there's an ambassador who said to her i'll kill myself if you don't bring her to me (laughs) meaning me they told her i'd gone out but she waited and waited and in the end i had to go myself and speak to her before she'd go away i do wish you could have seen the way i tackled her my maid was in the next room listening and told me I shouted fit to bring the house down. But when you hear me say that I don't want to, the idea of such a thing, I don't like it at all, I should hope I'm still free to do as I please, and when I please, and where I please. If I needed the money I could understand." The porter has orders not to let her in again. HE WILL TELL HER THAT I AM OUT OF TOWN. OH, I DO WISH I COULD HAVE HAD YOU HIDDEN SOMEWHERE IN THE ROOM WHILE I WAS TALKING TO HER. I KNOW, YOU'D HAVE BEEN PLEASED, MY DEAR. THERE'S SOME GOOD IN YOUR LITTLE ODETTE, YOU SEE, AFTER ALL, THOUGH PEOPLE DO SAY SUCH DREADFUL THINGS ABOUT HER. BESIDES, HER VERY ADMISSIONS, WHEN SHE MADE ANY, of faults, which she supposed him to have discovered, rather served Swan as a starting point for fresh doubts, than they put an end to the old. For her admissions never exactly coincided with his doubts. In vain might Odette expurgate her confession of all its essential part. There would remain in the accessories something which Swan had never yet imagined, which crushed him anew, and was to enable him to alter the terms of the problem of his jealousy. And these admissions he could never forget. His spirit carried them along, cast them aside, then cradled them again in its bosom, like corpses in a river, and they poisoned it. She spoke to him once of a visit that Forcheville had paid her on the day of the Paris Mercy Fete. What, you knew him as long ago as that? Oh, yes, of course you did, he corrected himself, so as not to show that he had been ignorant of the fact. And suddenly he began to tremble at the thought that, on the day of the Paris Mercy Fete, when he had received that letter which he had so carefully preserved, she had been having luncheon, perhaps, with Fourcheville at the Maison d'Or. She swore that she had not. Still, the Maison d'Or reminds me of something or other which I knew at the time wasn't true, he pursued, hoping to frighten her. Yes, that I hadn't been there at all that evening, when I told you I had just come from there, and you had been looking for me at Prévost's she replied, judging by his manner that he knew, with a firmness that was based not so much upon cynicism as upon timidity, a fear of crossing Swan, which her own self-respect made her anxious to conceal, and a desire to show him that she could be perfectly frank if she chose. And so she struck him with all the sharpness and force of a headsman wielding his axe, and yet could not be charged with cruelty, since she was quite unconscious of hurting him. She even began to laugh, though this may perhaps, it is true, have been chiefly to keep him from thinking that she was ashamed, at all, or confused. It's quite true, I hadn't been to the Maison d'Orée, I was coming away from Forcheville's. I had, really, been to Prévost's, that wasn't a story, and he met me there and asked me to come in and look at his prints. But someone else came to see him. I told you that I was coming from the Maison d'Or, because I was afraid you might be angry with me. It was rather nice of me, really, don't you see? I admit I did wrong but at least i'm telling you all about it now ain't i what have i to gain by not telling you straight that i lunched with him on the day of the paris mercis fete if it were true especially as at that time we didn't know one another quite so well as we do now did we dear he smiled back at her with the sudden craven weakness of the utterly spiritless creature which these crushing words had made of him. And so, even in the months of which he had never dared to think again, because they had been too happy, in those months when she had loved him, she was already lying to him, besides which that moment, that first evening on which they had done a kattlia, WHEN SHE HAD TOLD HIM THAT SHE WAS COMING FROM THE Maison d'Ore, HOW MANY OTHERS MUST THERE HAVE BEEN, EACH OF THEM COVERING A FALSEHOOD, OF WHICH SWAN HAD HAD NO SUSPICION. HE RECALLED HOW SHE HAD SAID TO HIM ONCE, I NEED ONLY TELL MADAME Verdurin THAT MY DRESS WASN'T READY, OR THAT MY CAB CAME LATE. THERE IS ALWAYS SOME EXCUSE from himself too, probably, many times when she had glibly uttered such words as explain a delay or justify an alteration of the hour fixed for a meeting, those moments must have hidden, without his having the least inkling of it at the time, an engagement that she had had with some other man, some man to whom she had said, I NEED ONLY TELL SWAN THAT MY DRESS WASN'T READY, OR THAT MY CAB CAME LATE. THERE IS ALWAYS SOME EXCUSE. AND BENEATH ALL HIS MOST PLEASANT MEMORIES, BENEATH THE SIMPLEST WORDS THAT ODETTE HAD EVER SPOKEN TO HIM IN THOSE OLD DAYS, WORDS WHICH HE HAD BELIEVED AS THOUGH THEY WERE THE WORDS OF A GOSPEL, BENEATH HER DAILY ACTIONS WHICH SHE HAD RECOUNTED TO HIM, beneath the most ordinary places her dressmaker's flat the avenue du bois the hippodrome dissembled there by virtue of that temporal superfluity which after the most detailed account of how a day has been spent always leaves something over that may serve as a hiding place for certain unconfessed actions he could feel the insinuation of a possible undercurrent of falsehood, which debased for him all that had remained most precious, his happiest evenings, the rue La Perouse itself, which Odette must constantly have been leaving at other hours than those of which she told him, extending the power of the dark horror. THAT HAD GRIPPED HIM WHEN HE HAD HEARD HER ADMISSION WITH REGARD TO THE MAISON-DORÉ, AND LIKE THE OBSCENE GESTURES IN THE DESOLATION OF NINEVEH, SHATTERING STONE BY STONE THE WHOLE edifice OF HIS PAST. IF NOW HE TURNED ASIDE WHENEVER HIS MEMORY REPEATED THE CRUEL NAME OF THE MAISON-DORÉ, IT WAS BECAUSE THAT NAME RECALLED TO HIM NO LONGER, as such a little time since at madame de saint Uver's party the good fortune which he long had lost but a misfortune of which he was now first aware then it befell the maison Dore, as it had befallen the island in the bois that gradually its name ceased to trouble him for what we suppose to be our love our jealousy are, neither of them, single, continuous, and individual passions. They are composed of an infinity of successive loves, of different jealousies, each of which is ephemeral, although by their uninterrupted multitude they give us the impression of continuity, the illusion of unity. The life of swan's love the fidelity of his jealousy, were formed out of death, of infidelity, of innumerable desires, innumerable doubts, all of which had Odette for their object. If he had remained for any length of time without seeing her, those that died would not have been replaced by others. But the presence of Odette continued to sow in Swan's heart alternate seeds of love and suspicion on certain evenings she would suddenly resume towards him a kindness of which she would warn him sternly that he must take immediate advantage under penalty of not seeing it repeated for years to come he must instantly accompany her home to do a katliya and the desire which she pretended to have for him was so sudden, so inexplicable, so imperious, the kisses which she lavished on him were so demonstrative and so unfamiliar, that this brutal and unnatural fondness made Swan just as unhappy as any lie or unkind action. One evening, when he had thus, in obedience to her command, gone home with her, and while she was interspersing her kisses with passionate words in strange contrast to her habitual coldness he thought suddenly that he heard a sound he rose searched everywhere and found nobody but he had not the courage to return to his place by her side whereupon she in a towering rage broke a vase with i never can do anything right with you YOU IMPOSSIBLE PERSON, AND HE WAS LEFT UNCERTAIN WHETHER SHE HAD NOT ACTUALLY HAD SOME MAN CONCEALED IN THE ROOM, WHOSE JEALOUSY SHE HAD WISHED TO WOUND, OR ELSE TO INFLAME HIS SENSES. SOMETIMES HE repaired TO GAY HOUSES, HOPING TO LEARN SOMETHING ABOUT ODETTE, ALTHOUGH HE DARED NOT MENTION HER NAME. I HAVE A LITTLE THING HERE, YOU'RE SURE TO LIKE, THE MANAGERESS WOULD GREET HIM, AND HE WOULD STAY FOR AN HOUR OR SO, TALKING DOLEFULLY TO SOME POOR GIRL WHO SAT THERE ASTONISHED THAT HE WENT NO FURTHER. ONE OF THEM, WHO WAS STILL QUITE YOUNG AND ATTRACTIVE, SAID TO HIM ONCE, OF COURSE, WHAT I SHOULD LIKE WOULD BE TO FIND A REAL FRIEND, THEN HE MIGHT BE QUITE CERTAIN i should never go with any other men again indeed do you think it possible for a woman really to be touched by a man's being in love with her and never be unfaithful to him asked Swan anxiously why surely it all depends on their characters swann could not help making the same remarks to these girls as would have delighted the Princesse de L'Homme. To the one who was in search of a friend, he said with a smile, but how nice of you, you've put on blue eyes to go with your sash. And you too, you've got blue cuffs on. What a charming conversation we are having for a place of this sort. I'm not boring you, am I, or keeping you, No, I've nothing to do, thank you. If you bored me, I should say so. But I love hearing you talk. I am highly flattered. Aren't we behaving prettily? He asked the manageress, who had just looked in. Why, yes, that's just what I was saying to myself. How sensibly they're behaving. But that's how it is. People come to my house now, just to talk the prince was telling me only the other day that he's far more comfortable here than with his wife it seems that nowadays all the society ladies are like that a perfect scandal i call it but i'll leave you in peace now i know when i'm not wanted she ended discreetly and left swan with the girl who had the blue eyes but presently he rose and said good-bye to her She had ceased to interest him. She did not know Odette. The painter, having been ill, Dr. Katar recommended a sea voyage. Several of the faithful spoke of accompanying him. The Verdurants could not face the prospect of being left alone in Paris, so first of all hired, and finally purchased a yacht thus odette was constantly going on a cruise whenever she had been away for any length of time swann would feel that he was beginning to detach himself from her but as though this moral distance were proportionate to the physical distance between them whenever he heard that odette had returned to paris he could not rest without seeing her once when they had gone away as everyone thought, for a month only, either they succumbed to a series of temptations, or else Monsieur Verdurin had cunningly arranged everything beforehand to please his wife, and disclosed his plans to the faithful only as time went on. Anyhow, from Algiers they flitted to Tunis, then to Italy, Greece, Constantinople, Asia Minor, they had been absent for nearly a year, and Swan felt perfectly at ease and almost happy, albeit M. Verdurin had endeavoured to persuade the pianist and Dr. Catard that their respective aunt and patients had no need of them, and that, in any event, it was most rash to allow Madame Cottard to return to Paris, where Madame Verdurin assured him a revolution had just broken out. He was obliged to grant them their liberty at Constantinople, and the painter came home with them. One day, shortly after the return of these four travellers, Swan, seeing an omnibus approach him, labelled Luxembourg, and having some business there, had jumped on to it, and had found himself sitting opposite Madame Cotard, who was paying a round of visits to people whose day it was, in full review order, with a plume in her hat, a silk dress, a muff, an umbrella, which do for a parasol if the rain kept off, a card case and a pair of white gloves fresh from the cleaner's wearing these badges of rank she would in fine weather go on foot from one house to another in the same neighbourhood but when she had to proceed to another district would make use of a transfer ticket on the omnibus for the first minute or two until the natural courtesy of the woman broke through the starched surface of the doctor's wife not being certain either, whether she ought to mention the verdurin before swan, she produced, quite naturally, in her slow and awkward, but not unattractive voice, which every now and then was completely drowned by the rattling of the omnibus, topics selected from those which she had picked up, and would repeat in each of the score of houses up the stairs of which she clambered, in the course of an afternoon. I needn't ask you, Monsieur Swann, whether a man so much in the movement as yourself has been to the Mirliton, to see the portrait by Machard that the whole of Paris is running after. Well, and what do you think of it? Whose camp are you in, those who bless or those who curse? It's the same in every house in Paris now. No one will speak of anything else but Machard's portrait. You aren't smart, you aren't really cultured, you aren't up to date unless you give an opinion on Machard's portrait. Swan having replied that he had not seen this portrait, Madame Cotard was afraid that she might have hurt his feelings by obliging him to confess the omission oh that's quite all right at least you have the courage to be quite frank about it you don't consider yourself disgraced because you haven't seen machard's portrait i do think that's so nice of you well now i have seen it opinion is divided you know there are some people who find it rather laboured like whipped cream they say but i think it's just ideal of course She's not a bit like the blue-and-yellow ladies that our friend Biche paints. That's quite clear. But I must tell you, perfectly frankly, you'll think me dreadfully old-fashioned, but I always say just what I think, that I don't understand his work. I can quite see the good points there are in his portrait of my husband, oh dear me, yes. It's certainly less odd than most of what he does, but even then he had to give the poor man a blue moustache. But, Machard! Just listen to this now. The husband of my friend, I am on my way to see at this very moment, which has given me the very great pleasure of your company, has promised her that if he is elected to the academy, he is one of the doctor's colleagues, he will get Machard to paint her portrait. So she's got something to look forward to. I have another friend who insists that she'd rather have Le Loire. I'm only a wretched Philistine, and I've no doubt Le Loire has perhaps more knowledge of painting even than Machard. But I do think that the most important thing about a portrait especially when it's going to cost 10,000 francs, is that it should be like, and a pleasant likeness, if you know what I mean. Having exhausted this topic, to which she had been inspired by the loftiness of her plume, the monogram on her card-case, the little number inked inside each of her gloves by the cleaner, and the difficulty of speaking to swann about the verdurin madame Cottard, seeing that they had still a long way to go before they would reach the corner of the rue bonaparte where the conductor was to set her down listened to the promptings of her heart which counselled other words than these your ears must have been burning she ventured while we were on the yacht with Madame Verdurin. We were talking about you all the time. Swan was genuinely astonished, for he supposed that his name was never uttered in the Verdurin's presence. You see, Madame Cotard went on, Madame de Cressy was there, need I say more? When Odette is anywhere, it's never long before she begins talking about you and you know quite well it isn't nasty things she says what you don't believe me she went on noticing that swan looked skeptical and carried away by the sincerity of her conviction without putting any evil meaning into the word which she used purely in the sense in which one employs it to speak of the affection that unites a pair of friends why she adores you no indeed i'm sure it would never do to say anything against you when she was about one would soon be taught one's place whatever we might be doing if we were looking at a picture for instance she would say if only we had him here he's the man who could tell us whether it's genuine or not there's no one like him for that and all day long she would be saying what can he be doing just now i do hope he's doing a little work it's too dreadful that a fellow with such gifts as he has should be so lazy forgive me won't you i can see him this very moment he's thinking of us he's wondering where we are indeed she used an expression which I thought very pretty at the time. Madame Verdurin asked her, How in the world can you see what he's doing when he's a thousand miles away? And Odette answered, Nothing is impossible to the eye of a friend. No, I assure you, I'm not saying it just to flatter you. You have a true friend in her, such as one doesn't often find. I can tell you, besides, in case you don't know it, that you're the only one. Madame Verdurin told me as much herself on our last day with them. One talks more freely, don't you know, before a parting. I don't say that Odette isn't fond of us, but anything that we may say to her counts for very little beside what Swan might say. Oh, mercy, there's the conductor stopping for me here I have been chatting away to you, and would have gone right past the Rue Bonaparte, and never noticed. Will you be so very kind to tell me whether my plume is straight?" And Madame Cotard withdrew from her muff to offer it to Swan, a white-gloved hand from which there floated, with a transfer ticket, an atmosphere of fashionable life that pervaded the omnibus, blended with the harsher fragrance of newly-cleaned kid. And Swann felt himself overflowing with gratitude to her, as well as to Madame Verdurin, and almost to Odette, for the feeling that he now entertained for her was no longer tinged with pain, was scarcely even to be described, now, as love. While from the platform of the omnibus he followed her with loving eyes, as she gallantly threaded her way along the rue Bonaparte. Her plume erect, her skirt held up in one hand, while in the other she clasped her umbrella and her card-case, so that its monogram could be seen, her muff dancing in the air before her as she went. To compete with, and so to stimulate, the moribund feelings that Swann had for Odette, Madame Cotard, a wiser physician in this case than ever her husband would have been, had grafted among them others more normal feelings of gratitude, of friendship, which in Swann's mind were to make Odette seem again more human, more like other women, since other women could inspire the same feelings in him, were to hasten, her final transformation back into that Odette loved with an undisturbed affection, who had taken him home one evening after a revel at the painter's to drink orangeade with Fourcheville, that Odette with whom Swan had calculated that he might live in happiness. In former times, having often thought with terror that a day must come, when he would cease to be in love with Odette, he had determined to keep a sharp lookout, and as soon as he felt that love was beginning to escape him, to cling tightly to it, and to hold it back. But now, to the faintness of his love, there corresponded a simultaneous faintness in his desire to remain her lover, for a man cannot change that is to say, become another person, while he continues to obey the dictates of the self which he has ceased to be. Occasionally the name, if it caught his eye in a newspaper, of one of the men whom he supposed to have been Odette's lovers, reawakened his jealousy. But it was very slight, and inasmuch as it proved to him that he had not completely emerged from that period in which he had so keenly suffered, though in it he had also known a way of feeling so intensely happy, and that the accidents of his course might still enable him to catch an occasional glimpse, stealthily and at a distance, of its beauties. This jealousy gave him, if anything, an agreeable thrill As to the sad Parisian, when he has left Venice behind him and must return to France, a last mosquito proves that Italy and summer are still not too remote. But as a rule, with this particular period of his life from which he was emerging, when he made an effort, if not to remain in it, at least to obtain, while still he might, an uninterrupted view of it, he discovered that already it was too late. He would have looked back to distinguish, as it might be, a landscape that was about to disappear, that love from which he had departed, but it is so difficult to enter into a state of complete duality, and to present to oneself the lifelike spectacle of a feeling which one has ceased to possess that very soon the clouds gathering in his brain he could see nothing he would abandon the attempt would take the glasses from his nose and wipe them and he told himself that he would do better to rest for a little that there would be time enough later on and settled back into his corner with as little curiosity WITH AS MUCH TORPOR AS THE DROWSY TRAVELER WHO PULLS HIS CAP DOWN OVER HIS EYES SO AS TO GET SOME SLEEP IN THE RAILWAY CARRIAGE THAT IS DRAWING HIM, HE FEELS FASTER AND FASTER OUT OF THE COUNTRY IN WHICH HE HAS LIVED FOR SO LONG, and WHICH HE VOWED THAT HE WOULD NOT ALLOW TO SLIP AWAY FROM HIM WITHOUT LOOKING OUT TO BID IT A LAST FAREWELL. Indeed, like the same traveller, if he does not awake until he has crossed the frontier, and is again in France, when Swan happened to alight, close at hand upon something which proved that Forcheville had been Odette's lover, he discovered that it caused him no pain. That love was now utterly remote, and he regretted that he had had no warning of the moment in which he had emerged from it for ever. And just as, before kissing Odette for the first time, he had sought to imprint upon his memory the face that for so long had been familiar, before it was altered by the additional memory of their kiss, so he would have wished, and thought at least, to have been in a position to bid farewell, while she still existed, to that Odette who had inspired love in him and jealousy, to that Odette who had caused him so to suffer, and whom now he would never see again. He was mistaken. He was destined to see her once again a few weeks later. It was while he was asleep, in the twilight of a dream, He was walking with Madame Verdurin, Dr. Katar, a young man with a fez whom he failed to identify, the painter Odette, Napoleon the third, and my grandfather, along a path which followed the line of the coast, and overhung the sea, now at a great height, now by a few feet only so that they were continually going up and down. Those of the party who had reached the downward slope were no longer visible to those who were still climbing. What little daylight yet remained was failing, and it seemed as though a black night was immediately to fall on them. Now and then the waves dashed against the cliff, and Swan could feel on his cheek a shower of freezing spray. Odette told him to wipe this off, but he could not, and felt confused and helpless in her company, as well because he was in his nightshirt. He hoped that in the darkness this might pass unnoticed. Madame Verdurin, however, fixed her astonished gaze upon him for an endless moment, in which he saw her face change its shape, her nose grow longer while beneath it there sprouted a heavy moustache. He turned away to examine Odette. Her cheeks were pale, with little fiery spots, her features drawn and ringed with shadows. But she looked back at him, with eyes welling with affection, ready to detach themselves like tears, and to fall upon his face. And he felt that he loved her so much THAT HE WOULD HAVE LIKED TO CARRY HER OFF WITH HIM AT ONCE. SUDDENLY ODETTE TURNED HER WRIST, GLANCED AT A TINY WATCH, AND SAID, I MUST GO. SHE TOOK LEAVE OF EVERYONE IN THE SAME FORMAL MANNER, WITHOUT TAKING SWAN ASIDE, WITHOUT TELLING HIM WHERE THEY WERE TO MEET THAT EVENING, OR NEXT DAY. HE DARED NOT ASK, HE WOULD HAVE LIKED TO FOLLOW HER He was obliged, without turning back in her direction, to answer with a smile some question by Madame Verdurin. But his heart was frantically beating. He felt that he now hated Odette. He would gladly have crushed those eyes which, a moment ago, he had loved so dearly, have torn the blood into those lifeless cheeks. He continued to climb with Madame Verdurin. That is to say, that each step took him farther from Odette, who was going downhill and in the other direction. A second passed, and it was many hours since she had left him. The painter remarked to Swann that Napoleon III had eclipsed himself immediately after Odette. They had obviously arranged it between them, he added. They must have agreed to meet at the foot of the cliff. BUT THEY WOULDN'T SAY GOOD-BYE TOGETHER, IT MIGHT HAVE LOOKED ODD, SHE IS HIS MISTRESS. THE STRANGE YOUNG MAN BURST INTO TEARS, SWAN ENDEAVORED TO CONSOLE HIM, AFTER ALL SHE IS QUITE RIGHT, HE SAID TO THE YOUNG MAN, DRYING HIS EYES FOR HIM AND TAKING OFF THE FEZ TO MAKE HIM FEEL MORE AT EASE. I'VE ADVISED HER TO DO THAT, MYSELF, A DOZEN TIMES, why be so distressed he was obviously the man to understand her so Swan reasoned with himself for the young man whom he had failed at first to identify was himself also like certain novelists, he had distributed his own personality between two characters him who was the first person in the dream and another whom he saw before him capped with a fez. As for Napoleon III, it was to force field that some vague association of ideas, then a certain modification of the baron's usual physiognomy, and lastly the broad ribbon of the legion of honour across his breast, had made Swan give him the name. But, actually, and in everything that the person who appeared in his dream represented and recalled to him, it was indeed Forcheville, for from an incomplete and changing set of images, Swan, in his sleep, drew false deductions, enjoying at the same time such creative power that he was able to reproduce himself by a simple act of division, like certain lower organisms. With the warmth that he felt in his own palm, he modeled the hollow of a strange hand, which he thought that he was clasping, and out of feelings and impressions of which he was not yet conscious, he brought about sudden vicissitudes which, by a chain of logical sequences, would produce, at definite points in his dream, the person required to receive his love, or to startle him awake. In an instant night grew black about him, An alarm rang, the inhabitants ran past him, escaping from their blazing houses. He could hear the thunder of the surging waves, and also of his own heart, which, with equal violence, was anxiously beating in his breast. Suddenly the speed of these palpitations redoubled. He felt a pain, a nausea that were inexplicable. A peasant dreadfully burned, flung at him as he passed, Come, and ask Charlot where Odette spent the night with her friend. He used to go about with her, and she tells him everything. It was they that started the fire. It was his valet, come to awaken him, and saying, Sir, it is eight o'clock, and the barber is here. I have told him to call again in an hour." But these words, as they dived down through the waves of sleep in which Swan was submerged, did not reach his consciousness without undergoing that refraction which turns a ray of light, at the bottom of a bowl of water, into another sun, just as, a moment earlier, the sound of the doorbell. Swelling in the depths of his abyss of sleep, Into the clangour of an alarm, Had engendered the episode of the fire. Meanwhile the scenery of his dream stage Scattered in dust. He opened his eyes, Heard for the last time the boom of a wave In the sea, grown very distant. He touched his cheek. It was dry and yet he could feel the sting of the cold spray and the taste of salt on his lips he rose and dressed himself he had made the barber come early because he had written the day before to my grandfather to say that he was going that afternoon to Cambrai, having learned that madame de cambray mademoiselle LeGrandin, that had been was spending a few days there The association, in her memory, of her young and charming face with the place in the country which he had not visited for so long, offered him a combined attraction which made him decide at last to leave Paris for a while. As the different changes and chances that bring us into the company of certain other people in this life do not coincide with the periods in which we are in love, with those people, but overlapping them, they may occur before love has begun, and may be repeated after love is ended, the earliest appearances in our life, of a creature who is destined to afford us pleasure later on, assume retrospectively in our eyes, a certain value as an indication, a warning, a presage it was in this fashion that swann had often carried back his mind to the image of odette encountered in the theatre on that first evening when he had no thought of ever seeing her again and that he now recalled the party at madame de saint Touvert's, at which he had introduced general de froberville to madame de cambrimay So manifold are our interests in life, that it is not uncommon that, on a single occasion, the foundations of a happiness, which does not yet exist, are laid down simultaneously with aggravations of a grief from which we are still suffering, and, no doubt, that might have occurred to Swann elsewhere than at Madame de Saint-Huvers, who indeed can say whether In the event of his having gone that evening somewhere else, other happinesses, other griefs, would not have come to him, which later would have appeared to have been inevitable. But what did seem to him to have been inevitable, was what had indeed taken place. And he was not far short of seeing something providential in the fact that he had at last decided to go to Madame de saint that evening, because his mind, anxious to admire the richness of invention that life shows, and incapable of facing a difficult problem for any length of time, such as to discover what, actually, had been most to be wished for, his mind came to the conclusion that the sufferings through which he had passed that evening and the pleasures at that time unsuspected which were already being brought to birth the exact balance between which was too difficult to establish were linked by a sort of concatenation of necessity but while an hour after his awakening he was giving instructions to the barber so that his stiffly-brushed hair should not become disarranged on the journey, he thought once again of his dream. He saw, once again, as he had felt them close beside him, Odette's pallid complexion, her too thin cheeks, her drawn features, her tired eyes, all the things which IN THE COURSE OF THOSE SUCCESSIVE BURSTS OF AFFECTION, WHICH HAD MADE OF HIS ENDURING LOVE FOR ODETTE, A LONG OBLIVION OF THE FIRST IMPRESSION THAT HE HAD FORMED OF HER, ALL THE THINGS WHICH HE HAD CEASED TO OBSERVE, AFTER THE FIRST FEW DAYS OF THEIR INTIMACY, DAYS TO WHICH, DOUBTLESS, WHILE HE SLEPT, HIS MEMORY HAD RETURNED TO SEEK THE EXACT SENSATION OF THOSE THINGS. AND WITH THAT OLD INTERMITTENT FATUITY, WHICH REAPPEARED IN HIM NOW THAT HE WAS NO LONGER UNHAPPY, AND LOWERED, AT THE SAME TIME, THE AVERAGE LEVEL OF HIS MORALITY, HE CRIED OUT IN HIS HEART TO THINK that i have wasted years of my life that i have longed for death that the greatest love that i have ever known has been for a woman who did not please me who was not in my style end of section 27